0: You're Going to Die, the podcast, is brought to you by YG2D, a 501c3 nonprofit bringing diverse communities creatively into the conversation of death and dying, inspiring life by unabashedly sourcing our shared mortality. To find out more, visit www.yg2d.com.
1: You know what I really want to do for this intro is I really want to sing the lyrics to Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. (laughs) I don't know why, but guess what? For you as a gift, I'm not going to do that. You're welcome. You're welcome to the jungle. Hey, hitting the ground running with this episode. I remember I remember in the early days, especially when we do re-releases and I listen to old episodes. Oh, and hi, by the way, for joining us for the first time. My name is Ned. I'm your host of your Creatively Conscious Mortality podcast. You're Going to Die, the podcast. Welcome. I remember the early episodes I would talk so long before getting to the actual conversation. I saw a post on Twitter that made a joke about this fact, how really actually people just want to get to the thing the episode's about. They don't want to hear me alone talking forever about so many different things. So when we do the re-releases, I listen to some of those intros. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I put people through? Hopefully it's better now. And... I'm going to stop talking about this, because I'm risking doing what I'm talking about. This episode's guest, I just want to jump into it. Jamie Thrower is a queer death doula, end-of-life educator, and grief guide in Portland, Oregon. Jamie also is the creator of Queer Grief Club, an activity-focused grief support meetup group for the LGBTQ community. Jamie weaves her grief and death work with her passions for gardening, mixed media art and writing, and has self-published many zines about grief, loss, and end-of-life planning. Jamie specializes in work with the LGBTQ community, parent loss, and medical aid in dying. And I hope you love us talking about all those things. Welcome to this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Jamie Thrower. just took two minutes. Yeah, baby.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, last night I was saying to someone like, whoo, today's the day that feels hard to kind of ignore the horrors of the world. And, um, yeah, just all the kind of anti-trans bills and things that are happening all over is disheartening at best Mm -hmm. and just so harmful and painful to think about my community and the people that I love you know being impacted by that in such huge ways and so I've that's been on my mind a lot and of Mm -hmm. course you know in doing work with queer people and grief, like that's kind of that like communal grief that we all experience because we're watching, you know, our community be like destroyed and, you know, pushed out and ignored. Um, and with people just watching, you know, watching on and, and being complacent in that. So I'm always kind of thinking about the, the heaviness, that our community holds and our resilience and ability to kind of transform our grief into something bigger and better than ourselves and mm-hmm. to create community out of that. So, so it's always, you know, it's always this like mixed bag where I'm like, Oh, the, the weight of the world is so heavy. And when I think about the expansion and the possibilities then I feel hopeful. You know, Mm -hmm. I have conversations with people who want to, you know, make the world a a gentler place for queer people or just um, want to express their grief in a different way or, you know, just believe that we can do better for ourselves and our communities. Mm So
1: yeah. yeah. Thanks for all that. Yeah. I want to acknowledge something I'm really relating to is both the like, oh, like, it's so hard, you know, this, this, this work you do and supporting your community, especially during these times, um, how hard, hard and heartbreaking it is to see the reality we live in, the context we live in, especially in this country, but, you know, globally. And also then how meaningful it is for you to do what you do, uh, simultaneously. I feel like you're kind of acknowledging both the, like, I wouldn't have it any other way than to be able to support this community. Obviously, if you could pick like they don't need support at all because the world isn't (laughs) fucked, like that would would be nice. (laughs) But like the opportunity, and that's a weird word, but you know, like the life it gives you to be involved in these ways, caring for others, even though sometimes it is like totally fucked and heartbreaking and, um just, just knowing it's that coin, not the flip of the odds flipping through the air and deciding it's that that coin represents the bound, like two sides together that it, yeah. it, it, it's inseparable.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I think about like the need for support and feeling good about supporting people and also I feel like my critical job is to make it so that people don't need my like don't need my support, or yeah, like when I yeah. know that I've That's talked effectively to, to talk to them, and I've given them permission to grieve openly, or mm. I've you know given them the skills, or kind of um, the things that they might need to care for their dying person, or empowered them to make choices for themselves. Then. You know, then they're able to take that with their own sense of agency and make it theirs. And so I think that's, that's when I, when I talk to people and then many months later, you know, check in with them and they're like, Oh, well, you know, we did this thing and, or we put this together and, you know, we didn't really, we didn't need your help. I'm always available, but like, we don't need your help because we felt empowered to do that. And I was like, yes, that is the goal. Like that ripple effect of like this, it can be a different world. Like, here's what I know. You can pass that on to, you know, the people in your community and your life. Um, It's really, it's really beautiful to watch.
1: Yeah, that feels really nice to kind of receive and connect to from my own work. You know, I think about even like just going to therapy uh the mental health support that i've had in my life part of how it should work is that ultimately you don't need to go there anymore what happens there is something you integrate and take into the world and then both maybe create some kind of like stability in your own life, but also offer to other community from mm-hmm. the healing work that you've done. And it's really cool to think about the death and dying work and the grief work as a way of saying, here, come here, like I'll be with you. And like, ideally what happens here uh, when it's effective is that you find a time where it's, 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 it's a transition out of this mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. bringing it more into the world. I, I love that. and. I, I think as being someone who has abandonment issues, even that's complicated because <laughs> you're like, oh, it, it's, it's like these super. Oh, okay. This is the question next. Cause I know that the way I relate to that occurrence is both with the understanding you just acknowledged and the kind of like little grief of losing community who I've spent so much meaningful time with, you know, Mm -hmm. so intimately um, open and available as generously as I can be. And so when someone say a cancer patient moves on out of the group, because they're in remission and, and what a miracle and what good news and like, Oh, I I miss you, you know, like, yeah. I, I, I have to go through my own, like, letting go.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, oftentimes when I meet my clients who are using me for death doula services, I leave and go, God, I really... Wish you weren't dying because I would love to be friend, like friends, continued friends for (laughs) a very long time, like getting to be a witness and hear all of these stories and Mm. and really get to know people in this new and different and very vulnerable way where your guard really has to be let down um, in order to receive and give care at at the end of someone's life or in grief support and so you know um the families and and people I love too and so yeah there Mm. is that oh that's you know that's a change grief is just really a is a response to major change even minor change and so you know there's there's definitely a lot of rituals and releases that I have to do. And, and also like, what a beautiful way, like I can still think about and, and tell you wonderful things about each and every client that I've had, because I remember them so deeply. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's all of this is, is that kind of forever holding two things at once that Mm -hmm. like something can be hard and beautiful. There's darkness, there's light, you know, grief and joy can coexist. It's just, yeah, it's all of it.
1: Yeah, it's part of the work, I feel like. Um, and I, I won't drag us through this more because I feel like we get it. And in an episode, I don't know if you know Caroline Lee, but uh, she was in one of the recent episodes of the podcast. And that's part of what we talked about is the personal way we relate to the work like I said, my own abandonment issues, like how in the world, but also of course, most of my work is in context of being with people who I'm going to need to continually let go of. I mean, Mm -hmm. just this week, one of of the patients in one of my cancer patient workshops died. And and like, that's like right in the center of my, like my spirit and my existence. Like now anybody could say that, right? Like it's heartbreaking when you make the connections to lose things in life. But what a wild work to be in when you feel that much, like I can hear you describing it, like to be empathic and sensitive. And like you said, to let your guard down and know that it ultimately will mean like your own little heartbreak, uh, Mm -hmm. losing someone who you've been with, sat with while they were dying. Over and yeah. over again, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, grief in itself is such a like kind of internal discovery, and so you know, I'm always reminding myself when I'm going and meeting with people that I can really only go as deep with them as I can go with myself, and um, and so to be able to do that, you inherently put some, that's a risk that you take. It's, it's, it takes guts to have an, a big open heart and empathetic, you know, caring, uh, compassionate soul. And, and also, you know, my own, I think any, almost everybody who's in end of life care or grief work is in this because they've experienced it. And so there is something that, Um, is really beautiful in just being able to see the ways that I've taken my own experience and can kind of translate it or use it to, um, you know, just kind of normalize things for other people. And so it's not even just about education or you know holding space but I can you know re- be like yes that is so normal I felt I felt that too and and so you know what does that make the all the losses that I've experienced like oh, yay, that's, <laughs> look at the payoff, you know, like there's no, there's no meaning making in that, but mm. there's meaning in my life because of mm-hmm. how they've impacted me and, mm-hmm. you know, meaning in who I am. So
1: yeah, yeah, I, I do want to stay with that. I, I, I know at the beginning of our talking, I was saying that I didn't want to force us into like canned answers. Um, I do genuinely, genuinely want to know because I want to know you and and why you're in this work and the personal kind of journey that led to it. Um, And I think it's powerful to highlight what it means to come back from, like you said, these dark, heartbreaking losses of our own life Um, and even the ones we continually go through and will, you know, you and I while we do this work, not just in the work, but in life. And know that part of what I expect you you might relate to is being someone who does make meaning out of these things or at least is able to bring back from this stuff some deep understanding to meet other people's stories. Um, Like I feel like that's powerful and it does not have to be everybody's responsibility. I wouldn't put it on everybody. But also part of why I'm here with you is because I think I needed to do that, you know, and, and do want to be that person. I do want like my kids and community and friends and family to consider me someone who they look to and think, yeah, life is hard, you know, and we Mm -hmm. will suffer great loss and heartbreak. And like, look, there's a way to turn it into something that matters and make a life of meaning. And So I'm wondering, (laughs) that's a big, you're like, oh (laughs) shit, like now I gotta (laughs) tell a story that matches that, but I, I sure it's, it is part of it, right. For you. And I want to, I want to hear a little bit of maybe what led to you doing this work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I joke sometimes that I wish I had just like a resume or a small PowerPoint to say, this is why I'm like this. And like yeah. all the major players and people in my life who have died and the years and, you know, just kind of, um, Please I do mean, that. I, I guess <laughs> that's what <laughs> we, a we family medical history is, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, but a PowerPoint ever... <laughs> would be, <laughs>
1: you know what, I'm just going to email you something. Just check it out. There's music, some slides. It's got yeah. all the people, all the losses. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Here's all the ways you're going to have to know my people because I bring them into the world with me. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, you know, I, I spent a very long time just kind of immersed in grief and loss without really knowing it. And just, um, I, I had always kind of been a sensitive kid, you know, with wide eyes open and, um, and a very fragile, tender heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely, like, my first grief experience was losing my dogs, and I remember going to kindergarten, and all I could do was just, I just wanted to silently write books that and draw pictures of my dogs, which mm-hmm. is, like, you know, single tears going down my face. Mm-hmm. And I was sent home. I was sent home from kindergarten, and I was told oh that gosh, I could come you back when this. I'm... Yeah. Um, when I was a little more ready to be, and I was like, I wasn't even doing anything. I was <laughs> uh, actually working on you know, something. <laughs> I, yeah. I was just crying to myself. Mm. Um, but yeah, so like I've ha- yeah, always felt that sensitivity, but, um, can we you know, stop right I,
1: there? Can we stop yeah. at that moment real quick? I'm just curious, like, were your I think it's common, and I'm sure you've heard many versions of the parents who don't even let their kids know that the dog, the dog walked, went away or went to a new home, but, but you know how often that happens. And I'm yeah. wondering if your parents were very open and communicative about that death, the death of your dogs, how they kind of included you in that and how they reacted to you getting sent home because you were emotional. Is that yeah. part of your memories at all?
0: You know, I don't I, I remember a few things about knowing that the dogs were dying because they were sick and they were, it was two dogs. Um, and they died pretty close to each other. And so, um, I, I do remember that my mom, you know, my mom was such a wonderful and nurturing person. And so she, of course, like, let me, um, come home and gave me that space. And, she did teach me a lot about kind of memorializing, um, the, the dead. And so we went to a nursery and picked out, um, a little garden stone for, for the dogs. And so, um, that was kind of my first introduction into like, oh, here's some, like, something that you could do. And, um, but I know that she also, you know, wanted to protect, my little heart and so there was a lot you know there's just a kind of like okay well we'll just you know have her here and keep her nurtured here and then um and then get, put her back into kindergarten when, when she's done crying <laughs> she's done <grieving>. shocker <laughs> it's actually a a common theme in my life hmm. so I'm like if you just see me quietly crying. It's okay. I'm yeah, comfortable with it. Please. If you're weird with it, like you don't just don't look at me, you know?
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> Definitely don't send me home.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can be here. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you,
1: then your commitment already, I can feel it. Right. It's like, God, we need more people crying publicly, <laughs> crying around us. It being okay. Of course. Right. Right. right it's visible. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, in elementary school, I lost multiple grandparents. And at the same time, um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and it was, uh, cancer that was very rare and that was caught in a very, um, unsuspecting way and we forever grateful to the surgeon who kind of took a second look and was like, I don't, I'm not gonna do it this way. Like, let's do it this way. And that saved her life. But for me, I always knew I equated cancer with death because that's what generally if you heard the word cancer, um someone was dying from it. That's what some of my grandparents died from Um, and, and so I kind of was like, okay, I guess my mom is dying. I don't, I'm not really sure. Um, and I was 10 years old. And so I, I know that my, my mom was kind of went into every treatment that she could do. And it was a a more of a, let's keep this insular to ourselves and, um, you know we'll just kind of we don't want to ask for too much of other people and we're still kind of processing what this means to us. Um, How old
1: were you at that time?
0: So I was 10 mm-hmm. yeah so I so it was just kind of a strange a strange elephant in the room it felt like for a very long time um, and and then you know she started doing okay and and went into remission just in time for my dad to get terminally oh my ill um, with another rare disease, a really rare neuro- neurodegenerative disease called multiple system atrophy, which is similar to ALS in that you kind of piece by piece start to lose your autonomy and your ability to walk and talk. And so, That happened, you know, in high school when I'm at my most insecure and I'm worried about my parents and, you know, now I have a parent who has slurred speech and Mm has a walk that's, you know, shaky. And so there were people who asked me if my dad was drunk all the time, you Mm -hmm. know, or, um, And I didn't really have, uh, again, like, didn't really know how to talk about it with other people. Um, And there was always so much emphasis on the, like, we can just, we'll do something, we'll try this treatment, we'll try this experimental treatment, we'll go here, we'll do this, um, you know, which is a really privileged place to be. Uh, But there wasn't really... A, a huge sense of, okay, this is really happening. He's dying until I was in college. And at that time, my mom also had a cancer recurrence and my mm. dad was dying. And so oh, it was kind of wow, like, where Jimmy. do I yeah. go? And also my friends are like, want to go out to the bar tonight? Yeah. And I'm like, I need to go home to mm-hmm. my parents or yeah. Um, I need to go find which emergency room my mom was taken to, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so my college experience was really strange and lonely at times. Um, so my dad died when I was 21, right after my 21st birthday. And, um, and my mom's cancer kind of just repeatedly came back a million times. And, uh, and then she died when I was 28. Mm -hmm. And so to lose both of my parents before I turned 30 before, I I mean, I still don't feel like a full adult. Um, but being in that awkward phase of like your young twenties and your late twenties and, and going, Oh my God, I'm, I'm it now. Like Mm -hmm. I'm the, the, la- the next generation of my family. No I'm siblings. the ke- yeah. Oh no, I have siblings, but okay. you know, there's no there's no adultier adult yep. than me, mm-hmm. and I'm the keeper of the stories. And what are the things that I wish I would have asked? And you know, having we had so much time, which will never make grief or death any more you know, easy to tolerate, which is such a, you know, common misconception. People are like, oh, well, at least you knew it was coming. Like that, (laughs) that does not help. (laughs) I don't
1: know how anyone thinks that statement helps.
0: Right. But in, you know, in, in hindsight, once my parents did, each one of them were like, Okay, this is inevitable. I am dying. Mm-hmm. They really did allow me to be and my my siblings to be a part of that experience in whatever way that we wanted to be. Mm. And as a very, very sensitive, um, extra kind of connective kid, um, young, young adult, I really wanted to be there. And I always felt kind of, you know, I thought for a long time, Oh, maybe I'll be a nurse or maybe I'll, um, go into naturopathic medicine. Like I want to like help because I don't understand how all this disease and death is like circling me all the time.
1: Early. Um, early, you felt that early. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so, um, You know, I I started just joining in for the conversations that they were having or or kind of sitting with um, the strangeness of it all, of being like, okay, uh, my dad just went to go pick out his casket. That's weird, Mm -hmm. but I guess that's a thing, and... You know he had really planned out his whole memorial service he knew who he wanted to talk he wanted he knew exactly what songs he wanted played like he really made the whole experience um easy for us to be able to know what he wanted Mm -hmm. and and also you know i just kind of was like well i guess this is just what you do
1: time again everybody that middle of the show moment where you might just be swept up in all the goodness of the conversation you've been listening to and then maybe unconsciously you start wondering how could I support this happening more in the world well here's a few ways to do that first of all per usual it matters it matters it matters I can't say it enough go and rate and review the show go into your podcast app get it done You got time right now. The conversation, we're in between parts of the conversation. Just let me guiding you and you being held by Nick Jaina's music get you to open your app and click some stars and leave some words of acknowledgement for what this podcast means to you. We're out here receiving those words, that acknowledgement. It matters and keeps us going. I can't say it enough. It is one of those times. Let us know that you're out there and this matters to you. Second, share this episode with someone you care about that you know it will matter to, that this will matter to them. Send it. Copy the link. Send the website. Let them know about what we're up to here at You're Going to Die. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so all the things you can do, like little things like that, little actions, it matters so, so much. Finally, if you've got some extra funds this month, you've got some extra funds every month, just think about taking a few dollars, $5 a month. Think about taking that $5 a month and contribute it to our Patreon account. It's patreon.com forward slash YG2D. You can go into the show notes and click the link there. Easiest way to get to it. We cannot say this enough. Those little contributions add up. I was looking at AOC the politician posting recently how they are committed to only getting community support there's a way we are in the world like that to have your donations your average donation be somewhere between 12 and 16 dollars that's what it is for AOC I want to be that way in the world with our nonprofit so think about it. That little amount can amount to so much when a community of people contribute those amounts together. So go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D. And per usual, the one thing I really want you to get is our gratitude that you're listening at all to You're Going to Die, the podcast. We're so glad you're here and we're in your ear.
0: So much of this kind of awakening happened when, again, in my own losses, my, my partner and I uh, were pregnant. Um, my partner was pregnant and we were elated and so excited. And going through even that fertility journey was eye-opening to kind of how terrible our medical system is and treats queer people, um, especially in that world. Um, you know, I can, if I go to my PCP, it's, it's a little bit easier, but, um, going to fertility doctors is, you know, when you're tr- having to constantly cross out husband or father or you know all the things.
1: Yeah, even the paper. Um, right. Yeah,
0: and so you know we tragically lost our baby at 17 weeks in the mm. second, tr- deep into the second trimester, mm. in a very unexpected and horrific and tragic way. And you know, beyond the when we had to seek emergency care, beyond the kind of medical homophobia that we experienced. Um in the aftermath I was kind of like okay I don't like where do I get support and so we started looking for support groups and there were you know pregnancy loss and stillbirth support groups but they would say things like husbands welcome to join on this one or um you know women only or you know and so I, as in all of my privilege as a white cis-ish person, um, I if I walked into a room for miscarriage and stillbirth, and in the like body presentation that I have, and people are going to look at me and assume it happened to my body, and if it didn't, they're going to go, "Why are you here?" Yeah, and if I'm have to be in the husband category, then I'm just the support. I'm the, the person who takes care of, of the other person who lost the baby. It's almost like there's only one person who loses the baby and that's the mother. Mm -hmm. And so, um, my partner and I just like really struggled to to figure out where we could get support and where we could not be the only queer couple in the room. And, um, you know, and we really didn't find it. We didn't find it anywhere. And there were a lot of spaces that would say, Oh, we don't discriminate. Of course you could come. Of course you could join. And there's a difference between, a space, like saying that they can accommodate you (laughs) versus a space being said, like, this is made for you or like you are included in all of this. In the language
1: and yes. In the design. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to be real quick, Jamie, just to be extra clear. Um, your, how does your partner identify?
0: Um, she identifies as a woman. Yeah.
1: Uh huh. And, and she carried the baby. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. i gathered that from what you said, but I wanted to make sure that that it was clear. Um, yeah. yeah okay. Totally understood. Uh, yeah. yeah. Going into a space. <laughs> well, just, yeah. I was mean, just thinking about the forms and the paperwork stuff where it's like, well, I gotta, I gotta like adjust your, um, access point. You know what I mean? Like right. I gotta, I gotta adjust your onboarding so that mm-hmm. I fit into this, like mm-hmm. to immediately feel the not belonging Yeah, a, during a time when you're like, brokenhearted and vulnerable. Yes, Yeah.
0: yes, yes. And, you know, as we started talking to more people and sharing our story and hearing the stories of other people, we were like, wow, our story is not the same. Like they were offered things that we were not offered. They were treated in ways that we were not treated. And like, what is that? What, like, what does that mean for you know, anything. And so, you know, I began to think of that in just all of the different ways that we experienced the disparities in healthcare and, 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 end of life care. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, and so having this intersection of queerness and grief, I, and being able to start like seeing where these bigger holes were and how important those intersections are, Mm -hmm. um, I, I really felt like it was so important to start advocating for, for more spaces, queer specific spaces, not just for grief, which is, you know, really important, but also for end of life care, because Mm -hmm. I have heard absolute horror stories. Well,
1: (laughs) I want, I want to know, I want you to share maybe one or two of those. Is that okay?
0: Yeah. I just want
1: to, I really want to make this issue visible through, through maybe you sharing some of what you've experienced or have, have received from your, from the queer community, you know, in these contexts. Yeah. I don't know what the like, you know, because I know some of these might not be your story to tell. So I get the sensitivity of that, but
0: yeah, I mean, yeah. So I, I've definitely heard from, from people that, Either I've um, you know collaborated with or or been colleagues with that um, you know, especially healthcare workers and the and oftentimes you know people would say, oh, this is you know we accept everyone here and whatever, but then a nurse would refer to a transgender person as it, or they'd be mm-hmm. making jokes in the break room or you know, refusing to respect pronouns or refusing to respect gender identity, or even just considering that in like a terminal diagnosis, what that means for someone Mm. and like how that's going to impact their life and their, uh, you know, their support people. And I have a, a dear friend who, who works in end of life care. And he, he was like, yeah, I, I, people don't know how to talk about intimacy at the end of life. And like, you know, as a queer man, I'm able to talk to my clients about like, yeah, if you want to be intimate with your person who's dying and you know, you're a gay couple, like I, here's how you can do it. But a lot of people don't, don't even have that, uh, awareness or ability to kind of see that there's so many different ways that families are made up um, and that that relationships are and all of those dynamics and Mm -hmm. identities and you know so we and we have such a hard time as a society accepting that people can be self-determined right like and so while they're alive and so to know that people are are really doing such a disjustice, uh, mm-hmm. injustice, um, mm-hmm. and disservice to people who are vulnerable and at the end of their lives um, is horrific to me. So, yeah, absolutely. So there's, and you know, and in death care, end of life care we all, because we love denial in this country, um, mm-hmm. and not talking about anything, we all have to learn about this kind of stuff in real time when we're chaotic and grieving and don't know what to do and just have to trust with what is in front of us. Um, and, and so, you know, to, to be able to be a voice for someone or an advocate or say, you have more choices than this Mm -hmm. or we can do this differently or what is it that you, what's important to you? What do I need to know about you? So I can make sure that you get the best care that feels affirming and, and good to you. Mm -hmm. And, tell me about your family and your support people, knowing that family means so many different things. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a wonderful client whose best um, and closest caregiver was like an ex lover and people really didn't understand that. And he said he like struggled with some of his hospice nurses who are kind of like, well, is he your husband? No, he's your caretaker. No, like we're just, there's a deeper connection than that. But like, why can't you wrap your, your head around, Mm -hmm. you know, that we could care for each other Mm -hmm. in this way. Um, And so that's kind of that impact of uh, being able to work with other queer folks and have them kind of repeatedly say, it's so nice to feel like I don't have to explain myself you know yeah. there's like an inherent understanding i want i'm never going to know everything cuz we not you know we're not a monolith and we all are different and unique and that's what makes the queer community so incredible but i also you know being queer is co- being committed to reimagining a different world and mm-hmm. um, and being expansive kind of you know in our own in our own way and so being able to have that kind of underlying understanding and just like, yes, whoever you say you are and whatever is important yeah, what? to you, like, I believe uh, you. Like it's, so, what a, it's
1: ridiculous to need to say it in simplest terms, right? You right. know, it's like, why, why not? You know, yeah. I feel the identity, especially... I wonder if there's a change into the guard maybe a little more and more coming out of like the last several decades, especially like medical context, you know, Mm -hmm. and I want to, I'm I'm wondering about that because I do think part of the offering I imagine is not just you, like you said, by the way, understandably not having all the answers, but someone coming to you to get connected to a network of queer support Mm -hmm. and and knowing maybe more and more that is becoming a a vaster possibility to catch community um, during times like this. But I just want to highlight the like, what is it that you're protecting to not let someone identify who they are, especially during a time... When it's their last chance to be that.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly.
1: But it's so, it, it feels like simultaneously ridiculous for us to have to put words to that something that simple. On the other side, feeling through you what you touched on a little, which is like what it means to have a queer community come to you and feel the reception, you know, like mm-hmm. the acceptance, uh, the affirmation. Uh, like we shouldn't be having to fucking work through that shit when we're dealing with the hardest thing we've ever had to deal with, you know? Right.
0: Right. Yeah. To have those extra layers of, of grief really of, you know, either not, um, being affirmed in who you are or even not watching your person not be affirmed in who they are, um, no one needs to go through that unnecessary. It's so unnecessary, you know? Um, and, and it's not an, uh, Oh, just treat everybody the same. It's show up for the individual, you know, show up and allow them to be exactly who they are, believe them and have patient centered care, mm-hmm. you know? I don't think that
1: that's that hard, but apparently it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point to, you know, have to identify in response to that reality that we're living in, especially in this country, yourself as a queer death doula, you know, like to explicitly need to make the invitation clear, you Mm -hmm. know, I immediately am thinking about uh, affinity groups, you know, it's like the need for these spaces are because this, you know, this reality is the context that we exist in. Right. Um, and so I do I do want to bring it back to that, thinking of like the the network that you're connected to. I don't know if there's more to say, but I do wonder if you could add something about what does it mean for someone to come to you during a time of need, let's say end of life. Yeah. And, you know, what what is that like to connect them? Like how, what is that reality to connect them to a community of likely, you know, queer committed uh health workers, mental health, all the things. I'm just kind of wanting to hear sort of a snapshot of that.
0: Yeah. You know, I think a lot about just the legacy of our community in general. And you hear about, you know, the lesbians who were the ones who were taking care of people who were dying from AIDS in the eighties and when no one would touch them, no one would go near them. And it feels like, being able to honor that legacy of care, of caring for ourselves, you know, we take care of us, this is for us, by us, Um, that connection to community is so special. And I think when people really feel like they're in a safer space where they can let their guard down and that trust of you know, I'm going to trust you because you're a part of this community and we're inherently family in that way. And I trust that you're going to look out for me. Like mm-hmm. it's so it's really beautiful to watch and then to be connected with other Queer death doulas or people, queer people who work in the funeral industry or, you know, all of these different, um, niches, like it is so important to our community to be able to do these things in community. And Mm -hmm. so to be able to be in a space that, or be with practitioners who are really not just dedicated to putting pronouns on their fucking um, laminated badges (laughs) and then not doing them or like slapping a rainbow sticker on and saying like, we support people. Um, But that someone who's like, in that community, they are willing to, to be there and to connect you with other people who are going to also, you know, like we're going to catch you, we've got you. And I think that that is such a powerful experience.
1: Sending so much gratitude to Jamie Thrower. Thank you, Jamie, for being on the show. Thank you for how you are in the world, what you're up to, and how it connects to what we believe in and care about and are up to here. At you're going to die. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you... Listeners want to connect up to Jamie, go to Jamie Thrower's website, which will be linked in the show notes, jamiethrower.com. You can also find out more about Jamie and Jamie's Queer Grief Club on Instagram at Queer Grief Club. And that'll also be in the show notes. You can also buy Jamie's zines through Jamie's Etsy shop. And I won't spell that out. Etsy shop.com shop Queer Grief Club all the slashes, just go into the show notes and click the link there. And also, Jamie wants me to let you know, always valuable, always appreciative of donations that can be sent to Jamie's Venmo at jamie-thrower, which will also, guess what, be linked in the show notes. I gotta say, more than ever, I'm clear, people doing important work in the world, ooh, often they need to be highlighted, they need to be announced declared and they need to be supported so there's so many other ways just like supporting this podcast that you can get creative about imagining how to support the guests that are on our show and that might be sharing this episode with people that you care about that you know this will land with this conversation we had here also it might be just a matter of connecting your queer community to jamie Jamie's out there doing important work caring for her LGBTQ plus community. And so that simple act... Just sending Jamie's website to people, sending our guest information to people. That's how community networks spread. That's how these people are supported to keep doing what they're up to. Like Just giving them an opportunity to do what they do turns into them getting to do more of it in the world. And by the way, I'm not going to be shy about the fact that contributions, funding matter so much for people doing what they care about, doing the things they're passionate about. I'd say especially, I wonder, statistically, if our passions need more readily available funding than your standard careers that just have the money set already in that context. So this is clear. Maybe you picked up on how I'm feeling about the work we do here at You're Going to Die. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. Your support matters so much to us. So please spread the word about what we're up to. Join us for our grief release. We're having that every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific till 6 on Zoom, and it's free. If you live in the SF Bay area, find our events. We do them every friggin' month. We offer workshops online. We do a lot of stuff in person. There's so much that we have going on. And if you go to our website, just look for ways to contribute. You go to the donate link, find out the stuff that you care about that we're doing, like our prison program, Alive Inside. We just did multiple events for the Mental Wellness Week in San Quentin last week, going in to be with community to create mentally healthy spaces of connectedness. If you believe in the hospice context, check out our Songs for Life program. If you know someone out there that's dying and needs music online or off, especially off in the Bay Area, then let us know. Connect up to us through the website and contribute. Your contributions matter so much to all these things. And I really feel it. I just got to be honest. This kind of work can be... Let's see. I want to be careful here. There are just times when Oh, boy, it'd be nice to have things be a little easier on the logistics end. And so your support in whatever way possible matters like you can't possibly imagine. That's all I'll say. It matters so, so much. If you believe in me, if you believe in our team and what we're up to, do whatever you can to support it. And I want to acknowledge you for the ways you're out there in the world trying to make a life of meaning. You know, it's it's real. And I relate. And boy, I hope this podcast meets you where you're at there in the struggles and the heartbreak and the suffering and what's hard. And also, hopefully, in a way that makes room for all that so that you also can be joyful and alive and feel connected and remember what matters. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode of You're Going to Die the podcast. Grateful for all of you. Until next time, bye bye.